a lot of people, I think, miscommunicate what they mean by the word listen. What does listen mean? Uh, what does making me feel heard mean? If you can get clarity on those, you're much more likely to create connection. Greetings everyone, my name is Julie Masters and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice, stand up for what you believe in and then amplify your influence to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement or a nation. Now my next guest is someone I have known for many, many years. Kamal Sama. I sat down to write this intro a few days ago and it's, it's to be honest, one of the hardest parts actually of producing these podcasts, trying to find the most succinct way to get across the immense value that I feel obviously that our guests have to offer for anyone looking to lift their personal gravity. So I kept trying to think of clever and catchy and new ways of conveying Kamal's genius, but every time I just kept coming back to the title of one of his books, which is how to develop the focus of a warrior and the peace of a monk. Now that's a massive claim, right? But it's one that he's in a unique position to be able to make because he was, he was one, a monk that is, for eight years in fact. And since then he's used the skills around clarity, focus and resilience to dominate in the competitive and fast-paced world of venture capitalism. Not two worlds that traditionally go hand in hand. He's a best-selling author, a constantly in-demand speaker, and the personal coach to some of the world's most influential CEOs and business leaders across the world. I first met Kamal after a mutual friend introduced us probably over 10 years ago now. And at that point, he was new to the world of thought leadership, and I was very new to the world of meditation. And we decided to swap expertise. And what followed was, was many beautiful and peaceful evenings with a monk visiting my home. Since then, he has become an expert in thought leadership, and unfortunately, I have stayed a total novice at meditating. However, I have been fortunate enough to access his brilliant insights on many, many occasions, all of which have been transformative in my own journey. More recently, Kamal has distilled everything he has learned into his latest book, which is the reason I wanted to bring him on today, called The Art of Win-Win Conversations, How to Navigate Your Most Challenging, complex and critical conversations through connection. Now just a quick aside as to how much this topic resonates, when I was doing my research for this I sat down with a book in a cafe and a waiter came over and said, where did you get that book? I need to learn how to do that. So obviously there's a thirst here amongst many of us to know how to do that, how to navigate complex and critical conversations and stay connected. And I think for anyone that's ever had a high-stakes business conversation or an emotion-fueled negotiation with someone you love will know that a win-win is the holy grail of conversations. It's like the unicorn in the room. It's a, a way to get everyone's needs met in some kind of magical, mythical way. In fact, I would actually go as far to, as to say that the ability to have win-win conversations is probably the single largest thing that I believe would alter the trajectory of the human race. 
which sounds like a massive call, I know. But how do we coexist with people who are different to us currently? And how would we like to? With people who have different opinions on important issues, how do we react when our buttons are pressed and more topically at the moment? How do we respond when we literally have our fingers on the button? Interestingly, Kamal defines a win-win conversation as one where all parties have their needs met. And therein, I think, lies the key. So often we don't get to the bottom of what our partner, client or colleagues actually need. Which, when you think about it, is a big ask because more often than not, we're not even able to fully articulate our own. Have you ever had that situation where you, I know I have a thousand times, where you would ask for what you need? If only you knew what it was. You know, we can usually always think of what we don't want. A thousand ways we want someone not to behave. Or a million situations that we don't want to occur. But what we actually want, what we actually need, a clean request we could make that would be possible, reasonable and respectful. Now that's difficult. And pretty much always can feel like it's impossible. So now you can see hopefully, why I so wanted him on the podcast. What Kamal and I explore in this conversation goes to the heart of what conversation is actually about. A desire to connect, and in order to connect, a desire to feel heard. Once that other person feels heard, Kamal's belief, and increasingly my own, is that misunderstanding can be removed more often than not, conflict dissolves, and the opportunity for connection becomes limitless. In this chat, we deep dive into the life-changing difference between listening and actually hearing another person, and why the rules are always changing, just to make it harder. How to identify someone else's rules when it, feels, when it comes to feeling heard, and then in turn, learn to recognize our own. How to ask for what you want with clean requests in a way that strengthens rather than diminishes a relationship. Why three is the magic number when it comes to win-win conversations and how to adopt the 30 plus 30 second rule. Sounds complex, isn't? And finally, the three habits that will derail most win-win conversations and how to avoid them. This I know has been a longer introduction than normal and I genuinely can't think of anything more to say that would adequately describe Kamal's genius. Or more importantly to me, the breadth of his heart and intention when it comes to reinventing the way that you and I define a win-win conversation. So I'll just let you sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Kamal Sama. Welcome to Inside Influence, Kamal Sama. Hello. Hello. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I've, um, you know, we've been friends for so many years now. It's lovely to actually sit in front of you and have permission just to grill you. Great. I'm good. So we're going to kick off the way that I usually kick off with whether you consider yourself to be an introvert and an extrovert. And in the context of win-win conversations, this is going to be interesting because if you're, as you are, the person who is the proponent of win-win conversations, do you need to be an extrovert in order to do this? Separate question. So firstly, do you consider yourself introvert or extrovert? I would consider myself an extrovert right now. But I think I was an introvert. Well, you were a monk. Mm, I was. And so I get very used to silence and learning how to enjoy your own company. 
So I didn't like my own company. So um, I, I, I really think I was an introvert for a long time. But then I realized, yeah, this is pretty cool, being an extrovert. So I think I'm more of an extrovert. But also I think picking up the skills along the way to feel comfortable in yourself and then to share yourself with others. So an introvert flipping into an extrovert who may mm. well flip back to an introvert at some point. All right, so I want to talk about the book. Let's talk about the book, The Art of Win-Win Conversations. Um, when we bumped into each other recently, I saw that you, you, you gave me this copy, which was fantastic. And I've taken it to so many cafes and every single time I take it to a cafe and it happened again this morning, somebody stops me and says, what's that book? Can you tell me about that book? So let's dive into it because I happen to think that in terms of influence, this is a huge one. The subtitle of the book is How to Courageously Navigate Your Most Challenging, Complex and Critical Conversations Through Connection. And it's that word connection that got me because I, at first I thought, well, you know, aren't we all trying to do that? Like, aren't we, is, how, is there any other way to do it other than through connection? And then I thought, well, yeah, of course there is. There's, there's dominance, there's, a, there's aggression, there's volume, which, you know, volume is one of the tools that I think is overused a lot. So if we're all trying to do it through connection, and obviously the need for this book means that we're not all doing exceptionally well all of the time. What goes wrong when we're trying to navigate these conversations? So what goes wrong is that we've grown up in a very domination model of communication connection. Um, and so it's not our fault. It's um, the way we were brought up. It was the culture of the time. Um, you know, not too long ago... Um, Slavery was a thing. Um, being um, discriminated because of your uh, sex, sexuality, gender, your um, color, that was a thing, you know. They used to use words like that in parliament. Um, and it hasn't been that long since we've let go of that. So we've tried to move ahead culturally, but unfortunately our mode of communication connection is stuck in that old part paradigm of domination and so what gets in the way is all the stuff that we picked up subconsciously and unconsciously when we were children be it the way our parents spoke to us our teachers spoke to us authority figures spoke to us and they spoke to us in a very dominating way so what we do is we revert back to that in a conversation and that destroys connection you took you tell a story and i've heard you tell the story a number of different times now i'm going to ask you to tell it again um you tell the story about your wife you're in intensive care with your wife and she was trying to communicate with you. Can you tell that story? Because I think it just illustrates what we're talking about. Sure. So um, in intensive care with my uh, wife and our son uh, had been born and he was quite premature. And uh, she came up to me and said to me, Kamal, you're not listening to me. And I said, yes, I am. And then she said, no, you're not. And then I repeated myself and said, yes, I am. You just said A, B and C. Anyhow, then she gets upset and she walks out. And I go, whoa, hang on a second. I am a pretty good communicator. Here's the person I love the most, that I care about the most, in one of the most intense periods of our lives, and I can't connect with her. And I think that was my wake-up moment when I realized that I couldn't connect and communicate as well as I thought I could. And after 14 years of research, I think we kind of figured out that our job is not really to listen to another person, 
Because kind of, we all can do that, but what we need to do is make the other person feel heard. It is not what we do, it is the emotional response in the other person that um, is what we're really looking for. And there's that, as you said, you know, we've come from an age of dominance, but there's a hunger now to do it differently, mm-hmm. to connect, to lead through collaboration, to lead through connection. But there's this gap where our skills stop at dominance, we have no tools to fall back on, and then you find yourself in a moment, in a hospital, in your case, in all of our cases, we could I know I could think of a thousand situations where you're in the moment and they're right there in front of you and you think, I can't, I can't find you, or why can't you find me? We're right here. So you said this beautiful thing after going through that, which was my job is not to listen, it's to make her feel heard, which are two fundamentally different things. But where it gets complex is that we all have different rules when it comes to what it takes for us to feel heard, which just by itself makes you want to throw your hands up in the air and go, really? Why, why are we so hard? So walk me through that. We all have different rules. Sure. So what happens is um, everybody has different rules for feeling heard. And most of the time we don't know what they are. But we get very... Well, up- we don't as in we don't know our own. We don't even know our own. We don't even know what to ask. Yeah, we don't even know our own. But what we do is we expect other people to meet them for us. And that's a real conundrum. So you're in a relationship, or you're with a team member, or you're with a colleague, and you're saying you're not listening to me, you're not listening to me. What you're not telling them is my rules for feeling heard are X, Y, and Z, and you need to meet them for me to feel connected to you. And it's part of that domination culture is to say, you're not listening to me is a very dominating thing to say. What we really want to say is that I have a need to feel heard. And that's a fundamentally different energy because then I lean in and say, okay, tell me how I can meet those needs. Um, So it's a real challenge to actually figure those out for yourself, let alone somebody else. And it does require a bit of stillness and a bit of introspection to say, what do I really mean when somebody's not listening to me? Do I want eye contact? Do I want them to repeat exactly what I say? Do I want them to synthesize what I've said? What we found is that people have different rules of feeling heard. And it depends on a lot of factors, but a few are are like your age. Your age determines your rules for feeling heard. So your parents' rules for feeling heard may be very different from your child's, for example. Um, the culture that you were brought up in, that might change your rules for feeling heard. So, for example, Indonesian women might have very different rules for feeling heard than, say, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs. Who knows? What you don't want to do is assume that they're exactly the same. Um, Men and women, I think, have very different rules for feeling heard. Um, I think professions have very different rules for feeling heard, be it a lawyer, an accountant, or um, an engineer. They may have very different rules for feeling heard. There is no one-size-fits-all. There is no kind of, you know, paint-by-numbers approach. But what you can do is you can start to become a bit more observant, notice it in yourself, and then start to be curious about what the other person's rules are feeling heard. The worst thing that you can do, though, is assume that your rules for feeling heard are exactly the same as the other person's. And that's where the curiosity comes into the whole piece. And asking, I would have, I would have thought, because sometimes it can be in my world anyway, different to anybody else's, but sometimes it's situational. So for example, I might have a conversation with my husband where I, you know, I would say to him, I just need you to, I just need you to hear me. 
please don't don't say anything. I'll tell you when I'm done, but I just need you to hear me. Other times, what it takes to feel heard is his feedback. So are you, so you're saying this all the way through. So you're saying this. So that happened. So it can be it can be situational. Is it a question that you should ask at the beginning of, of not every conversation too hard, but critical conversations where you go, what would I really? My intention is to hear you today. Can you tell me? Do you want me to? interrupt when I have questions or would you like me to listen all the way through I've got a pen and paper here I can take notes but if that's distracting to you I won't to set some ground rules up front very I think that would require a huge sense of self-awareness unfortunately a lot of people don't have that self-awareness of um, themselves and what they're really requesting for so a lot of people I think um, miss communicate what they mean by the word listen. What does listen mean? Uh, what does making me feel heard mean? If you can get clarity on those, you're much more likely to create connection. Unfortunately, what happens is in the heat of the moment, you want something and you sometimes ask for it in a way that other people don't want to give it to you. For example, if you say you're not listening to me, the other person actually wants to listen to you less now rather than more. So sometimes we do the exact opposite from what we want. And that's the weird thing about human, the, the human condition. We want somebody to connect with us, but we say, you're not listening to me, and that breaks connection. Well, we behave in exactly the opposite way of gaining connection. We get angry, we interrupt, we get aggressive, we defensive, especially if someone says, you're not listening to me, immediately you're like, I don't, I don't want to right now. Yeah. You're getting angry, um, and I'm. This is not a conversation that I'm thinking that I'm going to enjoy. So, you're right. We do behave in the opposite way of what we want to receive. So, I was going to ask you about that a little bit later, but let's go into that now. How, when you're in that moment, so you're in that moment, you're trying to have a conversation with someone. It feels like a crucial conversation. And you can feel your blood start to boil, or you can feel yourself start to get triggered. What do, you, what do you do in those moments? How do you reset in the moment? Or do you literally say, I can feel myself starting to get frustrated. Can, we, can you give me five? Or can we do this later? So I think it comes with mastery. <laughs> and I, I'm no means a master of this process. Um, I think I'm on the journey like everybody else. Um, I've had the benefit of doing a lot of research into the space. But yeah, you do get triggered. Um, I think a couple of things. Number one is... If, you, if you're struggling to connect with yourself, it's very hard to connect with another human being. So taking that moment to really connect with yourself in one of those, you know, how am I feeling right now? Am I feeling scared? Am I feeling angry? Am I feeling frustrated? Those are kind of the questions that you do to slow the whole process down. The problem and the challenge is these conversations happen so quickly. You can go from naught to crash and burn, <laughs> you know, in a couple of seconds. So Especially in a business context. And these people that love you tend to give you a little bit more grace, but in a business context, you you usually have about two minutes worth of attention span, if that. Yeah, yeah. And but I also think in relationships, um, our emotions are a bit heightened. So sometimes in a business context, you can create a little bit of professionalism. Sometimes, not always. Um, but you're right. The speed. So the first thing is to slow things down. Um, option one is, you know, I I really want to connect with you. I feel like 
you know, we're not connecting right now. Can I come back and, you know, be more present to you? I think that's a great way of, or can I come back and, you know, when, when we're both a bit, um, you know, a bit more centered to, to have this conversation. And for really critical conversations, I think that's perfectly okay. Um, but sometimes you're in the heat of the moment and a person really, really wants to connect. I've found a term called compassionate curiosity is to go to a place of curiosity, but you can't come across as interrogating. You have to have that compassion. What is this person in pain? What's this person's pain about? Why are they in pain? Have I contributed to any of this pain? And, and that takes time. You, you know, if you're also in a lot of pain, uh, it's very hard to have that compassionate curiosity. Uh, but yeah, I would say those two things. A, create some space and potentially come back. Or number two, go to a place of deep compassionate curiosity. Is the difference between normal curiosity and compassionate curiosity, just to get really specific, is the difference between those two things, compassionate curiosity, you don't have to agree with what they're saying. Compassionate curiosity is you, you're seeking to understand what they're saying, but in no way, shape or form do you have to agree with it. I was talking to a FBI negotiator for one of these episodes, and he would literally be negotiating for the, for the lives of kidnapped victims, and he was talking strangely enough about exactly the same thing, compassion and empathy. And he said, when you're negotiating with a terrorist, there's not one cell of your being that is agreeing with what they're saying. However, your job is to seek to understand and to have empathy to say, I, I can see that you feel that way. I can see that, that this means a lot to you. Very different from agreement. Yeah, I would say, so there's agreement, there's understanding, but I think sometimes you can't even understand another person's position. I think we all have such a complex myriad of filters in the way we uh, interpret reality. What I look for is not even understanding. I look for acceptance. Can I accept it is their reality, even though I don't understand it? Because many times you won't understand their reality. So, for example, you will never understand... Well, I, I would never be able to understand the, uh, the reality of a terrorist, but it is their reality. I can accept it is their reality. And so I think sometimes understanding is, you know, is a long pole. It's, it's, it's a big thing. It's a high bar. It's, it is a high it's, bar. It's a little bit too much to hope for in, yeah. in a lot of situations, yeah. that one in particular. So let's, let's go back to the beginning. What is, so we've, we've talked a lot about what it's not and some fragments of what it is. Can you define a win-win conversation for me? Yeah. A win-win conversation is where people are focused first and foremost on connection. And then second of all, trying to find a way to meet everybody's needs, not just one person's needs. The fundamental belief is that everybody's human. <laughs> if we're interacting with one another. And as humans, we all have the same human needs. And so if you can go deep enough into a conversation, you will be able to get those deep human needs. Unfortunately, in many conversations, we're at the superficial level. And that's where the conflict happens. If we can peel the onion, peel the onion, peel the onion until we get to the deep core, that is what a win-win conversation is about. It's about making sure that you get to that depth. So not mistaking needs for wants. That is correct. So most people have a lot of superficial wants, but a conversation needs to be deep enough to get to those deep human needs. Can you give me 
you used a lot of examples before. Can you give me an example of the difference between a because I think that this is a really important point that we spend a lot of time discussing. And as a leader, if there's any leaders out there, business owners out there, I think this is a trap that you can fall into very easily. And I have personally fallen into it myself many times where you can spend an hour discussing somebody's wants and then try and deliver on all of those wants and find out that you're no further forward because you never actually got to it. Those really wasn't what the conversation was about. Not that you knew that at the time, but there was a need there that you never found out that you weren't able to meet. So you can play in want land as much as you like and not get any further ahead or feel any more connected. So to, to distinguish very early on between someone's wants and someone's needs is huge. How do you do that? Sure. Um, and it's not a paint by numbers, so I'm not going to say this is a, a one-size-fits-all. It is really a dance. And because human beings are complex, you have to dance with people. And first of all, you've got to get them on the dance floor. And then as you dance, the dance starts to unravel the difference between a superficial want and a deep need. I'll give you one example, though, to try and... Um, so I had a case where um, a person that was coaching... Um, I was coaching both the CEO and one of the senior executives. And um, the senior executive said, well, you don't really value me. And then, you know, the CEO said, of course I value you. You know, you, we've just given you a promotion. Uh, we've given you a pay rise. This is, you know, we're, we're valuing you. Anyhow, they, they had this immense level of tension. What it really came down to was for that person's rules to feel valued was to actually be acknowledged in public that they were doing a good job. Now, unfortunately, that's not something that you'd want to own up to, um, especially if you're at a senior level. But what they really wanted to understand is, do I, am I appreciated in the broader context? Because it's okay for me to give me a, a pay rise or to give me a promotion, but for you to acknowledge some of the work that I've done and the change that I've implemented in an organization, that's what requires for me, me to feel valued. So how? I mean, I know you said it's a dance and you've got to get people on the dance floor, preferably not by getting them drunk, but I'm assuming if that's what it takes, we do that. We've got them on the dance floor. There's, are there any core tactics and tools to try and pull out somebody's needs? So I shouldn't say it's a tactic. Um, I'd say it requires vulnerability. People will only show vulnerability when they feel safe. But what happens is there's so much armor that people put on that they won't let go of their armor, and so therefore you won't get to the real issues. So the dance of win-win conversation is a process where both people feel enough vulnerability to actually go to the deeper issues. When people go take off their armor, then you can actually create that connection. If they've got that armor on, you'll still have disconnection. So it's up to the two people in the conversation to create that safety for them to let go of it and for both of them to show vulnerability. So a way to, to begin that process would be to show vulnerability yourself, which could potentially, stop me if I'm wrong, could potentially be saying, you know, I really, I really want to meet your needs. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that would look like? What would it, can you sh tell me a situation in which you can imagine feeling really valued? Can you talk me through like showing vulnerability enough that you actually genuinely care enough to want to know? 
Yeah, most definitely. And I think what you want, what we want to do is actually get the other person to share how they really feel about the issue. The worst thing that you can do is ask somebody, tell me how you feel about this. Because what you're going to get is you're going to get a nonsense response. You're going to get a superficial response. And a lot of people are taught that in coaching. Um, you know, oh, ask them how they feel. People won't show vulnerability unless you go first. So you have to go first before the other person will match you. Generally, they won't exceed your level of vulnerability. They'll either match it or go lower. Especially if you're the most powerful person in that dynamic from in a work context. Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. And so there is a real thing for, you know, um, for the leader to show vulnerability in that, in that um, scenario. But it requires courage. It requires a sense of confidence to show vulnerability. And it's, not, it's something that doesn't come easily to most people. So let's, let's dive into it a little bit more. I know I'm, I'm drilling, drilling down right now. And just because this stuff is hard. And it's something that makes a huge amount of difference. People's ability to be able to tackle a critical conversation in their life, in their workplace, with their children, with their loved ones. It can change lives. And so I really want to make sure that this, we get into how people can start doing this. How do you start? Let's pick that up. How do you start? I want to have a win-win conversation with you. You and I have traditionally not been great when it comes to communicating. Actually, we have been great, but let's pretend. We haven't been great. We have a track record of not being able to connect, and I really want to turn it around this time. How do I start? How do I start this conversation? Well, it's, um, there is a process that we actually teach win-win conversations through, and there are, you can start pretty much anywhere. But I would say, repeat to myself and say, start with a place of vulnerability, but also start from a place of intention. Look, my intention is to really connect with you. My intention is to make sure that you know, we can find a resolution to something that's been challenging for both of us. Would you be willing to, to have this conversation with me? And if it's no, that's totally okay. You can't force vulnerability. You can't force connection. But what you do is you offer it up. And if they take that offer, then you start to get them onto the dance floor. So it is about clearly articulating your intention to find a solution for both of you that kind of works. And you had said also starting with a, with a clear agreement, with an objective agreement. So what we find is a lot of people try to get to a place of agreement without starting from a place of agreement. It's very hard to start one of these dances when you're not on solid ground. So you've got to create some kind of solid ground. And it could be as simple as, you know, do you feel, you know, we've been struggling in our relationship a little bit? Or do you think that there are things that we might have, um, that we could have done better? So what we're looking for is a yes. If somebody can say yes to that question, um, what you've got is, yes, you know, I do believe there's a challenge. And you might get, well, would you like to solve it? No. Then you're going to start back and, and finding something Yeah, That's else. when someone's not on the dance floor, right? That's not on the dance floor. And then you can't say, well, I think that's really improper. You can't say that. You've got to make sure that you, you, know, you kind of um, work with them to invite them to the dance floor. It might take a number of times to invite them. Little kids, a classic example, you know, like they, they will, if you ask them to the dance floor, they might come, but they may not come as well. If you ask your partner or a team member or a colleague, they may say no. So what you might want to do is say, you know, would you be willing to try and do this maybe in a week's time? You know, can I give you some time to think about it? And maybe we could have a conversation then. 
So it's really a non-dominating way of connecting with another human being. And I'm assuming once you, let's go with the dance floor metaphor a little bit more, once you've asked someone to dance two or three times, if someone isn't willing to come to the party on a conversation, sometimes it's time to let it go. Yeah, go definitely. ask somebody else to yeah, dance. Definitely. I find that very rare though. Really? Mm. I would say that in all the time that I've been working with large organisations with people, you know, having challenging relationships, I would find it very, very rare that people would say, no, I can't engage with this person. What requires is um, a commitment to making sure that the relationship can work. Um, and, and there is a shared purpose. In most organizations, there's a shared purpose. In a relationship, there's a shared purpose. Um, you know, from a human being perspective, we're on this planet to, to all get along. So um, what we need to do is need to be able to peel the onion enough so we can get to the core of the issues. Then I find uh, there's very rare times I've actually ever heard that people are not able to go, go to the dance floor, apart from the times if somebody's not, you know, had other challenges in their life that they, they haven't been able to want to actually, you know, deal with this issue at, at that point in time. So we've got them on the dance floor. Yeah. We've started with a, we've started with an intention. We've started from a vulnerable place. Yeah. yeah. We have started with some core agreements so that mm. we can actually begin from mm. a place of agreement. Mm. Let's go into some of the other core core rules of, of having mm. a win-win mm. conversation. Mm. You had talked about the ones that I had noticed and they could, well, I'm sure that there's lots more. There was 30-second bursts, the, the three-second rule and clear requests. Sure. Can you walk us through yeah, those Yeah, sure. What I find is in a lot of times in conversations, people are trying to just butt in. And I kind of call it the three-second guideline, you know, to, to just, if somebody's heated, wait for three seconds. <laughs> Let them finish. You know, unfortunately, our... Our society seems to want people to get on to the point really quickly. And as soon as they just take a breath, they're trying to butt in. And that leaves people feeling very in, uh, unfulfilled. So just waiting for three seconds before a person, you know, after they finish, is so releasing to the other person. I've emptied out. Now you can go on. So it's that invitation. Um, so that's the one. The other one is called the 30 second. And that is, um, you know, the 30 second rule. And that is, you know, our attention spans are becoming shorter and shorter and shorter. If you can't articulate your thoughts in 30 seconds, what happens in most situations is that you've lost the other person. They're thinking about something else. <laughs> what they're going to do on the weekend, what they're going to do on their holiday. Um, so being able to crystallize your thoughts in 30 seconds is very powerful. So coming prepared with... 30-second bursts, like, okay, I'm coming to this conversation, there's three 30-second bursts that I have. I have three points that I want to make in 30-second 30 30 bursts so I can keep their attention. Yeah, yeah. And you're not competing with other people. You're competing with YouTube. You're competing with you know, an action movie where people are st used to being stimulated all the time. And, and so th having that 30 seconds gets you cut through. You, you just reminded me of a story that one of my closest friends told me. She... She had had a very checkered past with a member of her family and they were finding it very hard to communicate. And then that member of her family called her one day and goodness knows where they got this tool or goodness knows where they got this courage. But they called her one day and they, they just said, I want everything you've got. Give me everything you've got. I want to know, know it all. I want to hear it all. 
give me everything you've got. And she said it took three phone calls. And they kept saying, I want everything. Is there more? Is there more you've got? Is there mm. anything more you'd like mm. me to hear? Mm. Three phone calls. Mm. And their relationship was transformed at the end of that. But as you said, it takes one person to be vulnerable enough to ask the question. And then, and this is the bit that, that fascinates me, and we'll get back to the, the third of the, the core rules in a second. Sitting with that. If you're the one that's asked and you're sitting, you're holding the space for somebody else and things are coming at you then, and your, your brain automatically goes, well, that one's wrong. That didn't happen. That didn't happen on the day that you said it happened. I didn't even mean it that way. I can't believe you took it that way. How do you slow that down mm. enough so that you're not using all of your bandwidth to keep a mental score to then pour out on the person once they take a breath? It goes back to the first one of the points I was talking about, I think, is you don't need to understand. You just need to accept. So if you accept, yeah, the way you interpreted that message was this way, I'm not trying to correct your understanding of it. I just accept it. Yeah, I get, I get that's the way you accepted it. And what that does, it creates a bit of a space for that person to empty out. Because then they're not trying to convince you all the time of their reality. In many cases, when people are in conflict with one another, what happens is there's two realities. And one's desperately trying to convince the other person of their reality and vice versa. So what you do is you get into this interesting uh, justification process. Say, well, no, no, you don't, no, no, you'll hear, no, no, that's not the way it happened. It happened like this. Let's forget about that. Let's forget about what reality was. Let me just accept that was your reality. Let's just move on and say, okay, if I accept that's your reality, what do we do from here? How do, how do we move on from there? That's, re- that's, that's a beautiful term, to accept somebody else's reality. You don't agree. You don't have to agree, not even have to understand, just to accept. Let me give you an example. So um, I've done some work with young kids. Um, and, um, you know, say teenagers and in Australia and overseas. In Australia, um, they might say, oh, you know, my life is terrible. My life is horrible. Um, I, I don't have any future. If you try and say, oh, look on the bright side or, you know, you, uh, you know look at how much you've got. You live in Australia. You, you should consider yourself so lucky. I've broken connection. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to prematurely give my reality onto them. My job is just to accept that as their reality. Once I've done that, I've got the ingredients for connection. Before that, I don't. Let me give you another example. Um, I spoke to somebody who had a very, and he was from Afghanistan, and he had a very caustic view of everything Western. Um, you know, basically all his problems were because of the West. And, you know, he wanted to become a martyr or a, you know, a jihadist for want of a better word. And, um, and I was listening to him and I couldn't understand his reality. But then I realized he had been born in a war and all he'd known was war. And the people that were bombing his village were you know, killing the live livestock, were polluting the fields, were, in his words, white people. Once they were Russians and now they're the Americans. And he was really upset and he couldn't create that distinction. But for him, that is their reality. That is his reality. So if you can accept it's somebody's reality, you're more likely to be able to connect with them. Talk about, 
talk about clear requests for mm. a moment because mm. I think this is an, another fundamental piece. Often we spend a lot of time, myself included, spend a lot of time talking about what we don't want. Yeah. Says, these, are all the, this, these are all the things that you've done that have annoyed me. These are all the things you did that didn't work. These mm. are all the things you're doing that I'm not in agreement with right now. Mm. But we, we have no alter alternatives. Mm. No alternatives. We're not offering anything up. Mm. This is how I would actually mm. like it to be. And, mm. and I've left conversations before where you think, okay, you've just highlighted five things you don't want me to do anymore, mm. which, you know, that's those that out of the way. Mm. But there's like a billion other options I would love some clues. I'd love some clues about what you would like me to do. And equally, I've been the person who comes away from a conversation thinking I just downloaded on someone everything that I don't want them to do. But actually, I'm not even sure what I would like. Mm. And when you ask people, what would you like? They go, I don't know. Mm. I just know what I don't want. Mm. So how do we, what is the art of a clear request? It's actually owning up to what you really want. So if somebody says to me or says, some, says to you, you know, you're not listening to me, well, what do you want me to do? And you've already said it to a surgery. I want you to repeat back what I've just said. I want you to put down your phone, close your computer, and give me 100% of your total attention. That could be what you're asking for. But also, and I'll give you this one, there's a, a lot of people uh, mistake the word listen versus obey. I'll give you the example. So sometimes we ask for people wanting to listen to us, but what we really want is for them to obey us. Imagine this scenario. You're five years old. It's a really cold day outside. And your mom says, oh, uh, before you go outside, make sure you put a coat on. You go outside and you're playing outside in the cold day, but you don't have your coat on. Your mom comes out and says, oh, why did you not listen to me? What they really meant to say is, why did you not obey me? And so what happens is we are not very precise of what we want because, A, it might not sound so good. Sometimes we say you're not listening to me, but what we're really looking for is you're not obeying me. And it requires a bit of clarity of thought to really ask people what you want, but it also makes you very vulnerable because if they don't give it to you, because they didn't know, that's okay. But once you do ask very specifically for what it is, then they have a choice to give it to you or not give it to you. So I hear sometimes things like, oh, I just want them to understand me more. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, you know, uh, or I need more support. What does that mean? And what the win-win dance is about is making sure that we both feel comfortable to say, this is what I really want from you. Would you be willing to give it to me? And that last part, would you be willing to give it to me? Can you do that? Or is there, is there another way that my need could be met? Mm. But it, that's so vulnerable, right? Like mm. to, because often what we want feels... I can't even think of the word. You know, it's a it's a desire. It feels shameful. It feels to want that might be shameful, or for mm. someone to look at you and go, "Who do you think you are wanting that?" Mm. So, that place of going, these are this is actually what I want. These are actually my needs. Mm. Are you able to meet? Are you able to meet mm. those? Mm. And face the fact that somebody might say, "No," mm. or "Not at this time," mm. or "Not in that way." Mm. I can meet this one, but not this one. I can meet half of this, but not these. Mm. 
And then where does that leave us? Mm. It might leave us, lead us on to having to make other critical choices. Mm. So what's the process there? Is it taking time before a conversation to really articulate in your own mind, what are my requests here? Mm. I'm, I'm not gonna just go in with a barrage of things that I don't want. I'm, I'm gonna go in with some clean requests. Mm. It is a clean request, but what you might find is it's quite embarrassing to actually ask for that. Because when you're actually asking for obedience rather than connection, it's kind of embarrassing. When you ask somebody to give you something that you're not even sure what it is, that's embarrassing. So what you're doing is when you invite people on the dance floor, what you say, hey, I'm not really sure. And this is the power of a win-win conversation. Even though you don't know what it is, you'll go in connection with somebody and they'll help you, what I call, untie the knot. Sometimes we have knots within ourselves. And then a great connection is the two people uh, helping untie those knots together. So you may not know what the um, precise request is before you go in. Your precise request would be, would you be willing to dance with me until we can untie this knot? Because I don't really know what it is. And great therapeutic relationships, not just with a therapist, but with a friend or a partner or a colleague, actually goes into that dance to help untie those knots. I had some beautiful language around that recently. Somebody said, um, they said, it it's very clear in my brain, but when I pull it out, a bit like a cobweb, it's going to just be in a thousand pieces. And so will you just, will you, are you okay if I just pull the cobweb out of my brain? And getting that permission from somebody, and like you, they smile. And then you've got the option to go, okay, this is, this is the cobweb. This is what it looks like. Can you help me unravel it now? So what you have you have talked about um, loudness, speed, and and frequency being mm. the three things that will derail a mm. conversation, a mm. critical conversation. Mm. Can you w walk me through those? Sure. It's a really weird thing. When somebody's not listening to us, we think that if we shouted at them, they'll hear it better. <laughs> it's not the case. Oh, we've all done that. <laughs> we've all done that. Um, I did it last night. Um, but the thing is, uh, sometimes what you find is the softer you get, the easier it is for people to dis digest the message. And so sometimes, but we do the exact opposite from what we want. We want somebody to listen to what we've got to say. We want them to do what, we want, what we've told them, but we shout at them and that destroys the connection. So they want to do it even less. So that's the loudness piece. Um, I think speed, I think we get really excited sometimes. Um, and we say things way too fast for people to digest. And frequency, if somebody just keeps on saying the same thing over and over again, what happens is it becomes spam, <laughs> verbal spam, and we, go dis we discount that. So I think what it's incumbent upon us is to make sure that we can take, create some stillness mentally and then try and connect. And then what happens is the right volume comes out, the right speed comes out, and we only need to say it once because we've got that mental clarity. If you don't have the mental clarity, what happens is you just repeat yourself. And it feels like gravity, doesn't it? You know, it's ironic that volume and speed and frequency can feel like noise. But if somebody comes to you very clear and still and slow mm. and of a, vol like of a normal volume, suddenly they have like their gravity increases tenfold and you're like oh wow this person's oh they're serious and you're you know you're sucked into you know the world starts revolving around them and this conversation as opposed to 
all the extra noise out there in the world. I'm gonna, when I ask this, this question, and I'm asking this question very selfishly, I could be the only person who struggles with this. But my, I'm a good listener, I like to think. You know, I listen for a living. So I'd like to think that I'm, I'm okay at that. What I'm terrible at is something will happen in the moment, either in a work context, personal context. Something will happen in the moment and I'll think, hmm, I didn't like that, that doesn't work. Or I don't want that to happen again. Or I didn't appreciate whatever the language in my head. And then I think, I'll wait for the perfect time to talk about that. You know, when everything's quiet and we've got nothing else going on and there's no distractions and I am absolutely 100% clear of what I want to ask for, which as we've just discussed is very rare. And then obviously I never do. I never talk about it and it becomes a, a brick in a wall that grows between two people. So I'm trying to get better at that. But you've said not, you know, it's not a good idea to do it in the moment when your blood's high. I can also attest it's not a good idea to wait for the perfect situation. So what do we do? Sure. Um, so as you create mastery around this, like most masters, they can deal with any situation. So as you start to get better at this, what happens is that you don't look for the perfect time. You've got total self-confidence that you can engage that person with a level that you can make them comfortable, whatever mindset they're in. And then you can play with them and you can invite them on the dance floor and you can help them untie their knot. Then once you help them untie their knot, then you can maybe request, would you be willing to have a conversation about X, Y, and Z? So what happens is that you don't, um, the better you get at having win-win conversations, you don't wait for the perfect time. You create that bench strength to have them wherever and whenever. So for example, the FBI negotiator that you're talking to, they've got immense skills in dealing with very intense situations. And so that's the kind of skill set that you'll have as well. The more you, And you'll start to look forward to those kind of challenging situations. Is there a way of interrupting a situation in order to have that kind of a conversation? Is there a way of going, okay, stop, that didn't work. Can we talk about that? Um, so I would say presence. It requires deep presence on your part to really still your mind and then because this process doesn't work if you want to manipulate people <laughs> unfortunately a lot of people say you know um, oh I want to get x y and z that's not the outcome of win-win conversation the outcome of a win-win conversation is connection what you'll be able to do is if you want to have a challenging conversation you will first and foremost seek connection then when you have a connection, you'll have the permission to either, can I have the permission to discuss about this now? Or would you like some time and can we discuss it in a, you know, a couple of days' time? What you've already done, though, is all you, you've already planted the seed in their mind and they're starting to unravel their knot already. Got it. Got it. So to, to bring it up in the moment in a present way, respectful, present, connected way, and then... Offer them the option of talking yeah. about it later. Someone might say, hey, Jules, you know, I, you know, you did something the other day that I wasn't quite sure why you did it. And I kind of felt hurt. But maybe something might have been going on for you. Do you want to have a chat about it now? Or, you know, would you be willing to have a chat about it maybe in a couple of weeks' time when you're feeling in a better headspace and so am I? Would that, would that be a good option for you? 
something like that. Now, what that does is helps them subconsciously process what they're going through, but also helps you subconsciously process what you're going through. So let's reverse that. Let's reverse it for a second. Mm. We've been talking about the person who's initiating the conversation. Mm. We've been talking a lot about being the person in the conversation who has the requests. Mm. Reverse it. So I'm someone has a requested a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. And that conversation, you can feel it getting heated. You can feel it getting aggressive. You can feel it getting domineering. How do you handle, how do you handle that on the other side? So you're attempting for a win-win conversation. It doesn't seem to be working. Would you stop the conversation? Is there a way of bringing that person back to the table? Yeah. Um, we call it the three yes rule. <laughs> so what we find is that when people are agitated... Uh, the part of their brain that's going nuts is their amygdala and their limbic system. Um, what we need to do is switch on their prefrontal cortex, the logical part of the brain. And it's a very simple technique. Uh, you try to get them to say yes three times. Not to manipulate them, but to just help them to know that you're also here to make sure they get what they want. So with kids, it works a treat. You know, you might say, oh, are you feeling angry right now? Yes. Would you like to solve this? Yes. Did you think that what I did last time wasn't great? Yes, we've got three yeses. Then they think at least you're, you're coming and trying to understand their reality. And so that then starts to create some momentum back into the conversation. What if, I'm going to keep going with mm. this one, because I get asked this question a lot, mm. where, especially from salespeople actually, mm. where you know, I'm walking into a room, I have to present a price rise, I have to off, you know, give some bad news. Mm. And I know that this is going to blow up like a firework. Mm. Do I sit there and take it? Do I have some boundaries around how far I will let it go? Or are there some tools where I can calm it down and bring it back to the table, bring that person back into connection? Sure. So my belief is that everyone, everybody wants to feel heard. Everybody wants to empty out. So if somebody's really... Um, bent on articulating their feelings, you have to be present to their pain. So a lot of the times we try to solve their pain and not be present to their pain. If we can actually be present to their pain, you're more likely to be able to get a win-win outcome. So yeah, I would say if, if you've got a client that's upset, be present to that pain and give them the, the time and energy to actually empty out and therefore they can get to the essence of the knot and that how do you invite them back after that i'm thinking about that this situation we're talking mm. about i'm also thinking about parenting mm. you know you, the explosion happens you can't stop it anyone that's got a toddler can tell you that how do you invite how do you invite somebody back after that so what i found is that most people come back because once they've emptied out and they feel heard they think, oh, okay, well, you are present to my pain. This is safe. And they invite you back. I've, I've seen this with clients. I've seen this with you know, kids. Um, people want to know that you will be present. And if you're present to that, they'll invite you back into the conversation. It, it generally takes longer than you think. <laughs> so you can't rush it. And I, what I find, a lot of leaders say, oh, I've got an hour to have this conversation. And they rush it and they don't get an outcome. They keep on having these crappy conversations at a very superficial level, rather than taking the time to have the deeper conversation. A final question on win-win conversations. 
if there's one thing, if there's one thing that anybody listening who's got a situation, a person, a dynamic in their head that they're thinking of right now while they're listening, there's one tool, mindset or behavior that they can try more so than any others, what would it be? I would say, you know, when we teach this process, um, we take people through just a place of emptying out their mind. So my belief is that people want to write on your brain. If it's too cluttered, they can't get to it. If you can just stop and let go of that mental chatter that's bugging you at the moment and come to that conversation, that human connection with a place of mental clarity, I think that is a big part of the challenge because we're just not used to presence. We're not used to people just being present for our pain. I think that will solve a, a large number of challenges. So taking some time, breathing deeply and trying to empty, empty yourself. Yeah, I would say actually it's more, I, I think it's just create that mental space so that it's like listening to somebody in a punk rock concert. You can't do it, especially if that, that punk rock concert's happening in your brain. Switch it off and see what magic happens. Because what you start to do is you, people hear their words echoing through your brain. They go, oh my God, I feel connected. This feels amazing. I matter in somebody else's life. But we're so preoccupied with our own thoughts that we never give people that chance. Kamal, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to explore this particular type of conversation with you. Um, and yeah, hopefully we will have you back very soon. Thank you. That was wonderful. Thanks, Joyce. Thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode and found lots of useful insights and ideas for growing your influence. Thanks, as always, to our producer and the main brain behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. You can find out a little bit more about me and the work that I do by jumping on my website, juliemasters.com, or by following me on Instagram, jules.masters. If you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you never miss an interview.